You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, April 14th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Nap newsletter. Hi, Jared. How are you? Hey, Maggie. So, what are you watching today? What's on your radar? Well, I mean, everybody's watching what's going on at Twitter for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tweeting about Elon trying to buy Twitter. It's, it's yeah. sort of a world in and of itself. We can talk about, I mean, actually, you know, just about an hour before the daily briefing, I saw that the board of Twitter was thinking about adopting a poison pill. Yeah. Um, and like poison pills are never a good idea, but they're particularly not a good idea after somebody has already put in a bid. <laughs> <laughs> They are going to get sued so hard. Uh, it's unbelievable. So, Yeah. Do you, think he, do you think he's serious about That was my first thing. I was like, oh, my gosh, Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. I'm like, wait, does he really or is he just screwing with them? Do you think he really oh, no. wants to buy it? No, I think he really does. I mean, for part of it for the free speech reasons that he cited. But also, I mean, he's not doing this altruistically. Like, you know, Twitter for all of its intellectual and cultural significance, just has a microscopic market cap. It's a snack. It always has been a snack for anybody that wanted to buy it. Um, I mean, he can do it with his own personal wealth. It's really, it's just a fraction of what he has. So, you know, I think, you know, if he buys it at a 40 billion market cap, he could make multiples of that. So you think so? Is it just because his mere presence or, I mean, the guy's spread pretty thin, obviously a genius has success, you know, his ideas for all his detractors, his, his ideas, um, not all of them, but you know, he, he, he makes more progress than people want to give him credit for. Uh, I'm not, I'm talking about on the idea basis, not always on the revenue basis, but, um, you, you think he could make a go of it? I mean, what would be the difference of Elon being at the helm? Well, I mean, I think I think Twitter would do more way more things to monetize its base. I mean, for example, one of the things that Elon was talking about in his tweets is, you know, having people pay for the Twitter blue service at three dollars a month and then giving them sort of a verified badge uh, in return. And you would see, you know, hundreds of millions of people sign up for Twitter blue in that case. It, I mean, there's just a lot of there's a lot of ways to make revenue at Twitter and Twitter is, you know, has just been terrible yeah. at turning a profit. So. Interesting. Do you think he'd actually devote some time there or would he, would he be able to attract the right people because he's Elon? So I have a, I have a Coast Guard Academy classmate who actually was uh, the head of security at SpaceX. So uh, Elon wasn't his direct boss but there there was one person between them so he was two places removed and he worked there for two years and he said he had to take like a year off afterwards he was just like worn out like elon just drives people really really hard like it's you know the the whole culture of twitter twitter will change i mean it, i i firmly believe that that could be an 80 100 120 billion dollar company within a couple of years wow so you so are do you have a position in Twitter or did you put a position on as a basis of this? No. 
And actually, I don't I don't recommend putting one on because if the board succeeds in fighting him off, the stock price is going to go a lot lower, especially yeah. if they adopt the poison pill. So, yeah. Well, you think this would draw another buyer out for poison pill aside, you know, um, I mean, it's always been talked about as an acquisition, potential acquisition. You think somebody will a billionaire battle, somebody else come out and say that they don't want Elon to get it. So they're going to make a bid for it or a company. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very possible. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, you know, Jack is on the board. Actually, before I came on the air, I went to the Twitter website and I looked at the people on the board mm. and it's um, the board has, you know, there's, uh, you know, somebody from Salesforce and there's a couple of VCs and there's Jack and Parag and uh, somebody does public private partnership stuff. Like it's a, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very cozy board. Let's put mm. it that way. And I think they want to preserve the Twitter culture. I think they 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 yeah. probably think incorrectly that Elon would ruin it. So yeah, they 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 might be willing to accept another bid. Interesting. Well, it's going to get interesting. And it's funny the stock is down today. Um, yeah. It had an initial pop, but it's down. I guess on um, what do you, what do you make of that? Oh, I mean, are, it's, it's are they betting that he's not going to succeed, or are they just betting it's going to be a mess, or you know, what what do you think that price action's about? Uh, probably that he's not going to succeed, that the, the board is going to fight him off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this no, is going to be a juicy one. That's going to keep us uh, entertained for the next few weeks for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Levine is going to have some more things to say about this. And you know, it's funny cause Elon, what, you don't always see him and he was out at that Ted, I, I, I guess it was previously, previously arranged, but he was at that Ted conference today talking tons about it too, which was super interesting. So we'll see if we hear him being a lot more vocal. Yeah. Um, certainly tweeting about it for sure. Um, while we were all entertained by that, the rest of the market, not so entertaining. We saw, we saw equities kind of back down again. They'd just been chopping around this week. The NASDAQ giving back, I think, all of the gains that it had. Um, the S&P 500 off 1%, VIX is up a bit. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. We, I, 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 we were so busy and I was so busy with other things today. I almost missed that, that we got a, a pretty strong reading on U.S. consumers. University of Michigan reading for March came in strong. So you could say, okay, that's backward looking, but the future expectation component was strong too. That sort of surprised me given what's going on with inflation. Uh, you know, not being somebody who like really digs into the data, I don't know if I'm supposed to be surprised or not surprised. You know, one of the things I hear from people, actually every Thursday morning I go on like the local radio show and I talk about markets and stuff and the 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 two radio hosts that i was on with they said well we're in a recession like we're definitely in a recession i'm like oh actually we're not in a recession like it feels like a recession because inflation is so high yeah and consumer confidence is so low because of inflation but you know i mean the the, the labor market is super tight and inventories are low and the economy is running hot like this is this is not a recession like you you will know when we're in a recession so but it's interesting they felt that way. Yeah, they do. And that's true of a lot of people. You know, John Malden, my boss at Malden Economics, um, you know, he's he's writing in thoughts from the front line. He's, say, he's saying we're already in recession, and I disagree with him. But I guess we are kind of on a forward basis. That's why I was surprised to see the sentiment reading come in, or, you know, at least the future expectation. I mean, all these things probably lag, even when you're talking about future expectations. Let's see what happens next month and put put three months together for a trend or four months together. Um, because anybody who thought these prices were going down, maybe, you know, they, they figured, oh, it's temporary. Um, 
but at some point, I would think that you're going to start to see that in spending behavior and in, you know, across the board for the economy, the the prices. The other thing that's happening is, is that rates are, you know, it's like Chinese water torture. Rates are just keep going higher and higher. You know, the, the tens are two eighty three today, and bonds are over two ninety. Mortgage rates just went over five. Um, I think I saw a thing today on Twitter that said that mortgage rates went up one point one five percent in a month, which is like the fastest ever. Yeah. So that's going to hit consumer confidence at some point. Um, so. You know, I'm actually in the process of building a house. I haven't gotten a construction loan yet. This is happening at the worst possible time. Uh, but and you've got material costs going up and yeah, yeah, yeah. all around. You gotta you gotta increase that budget, I think, Jared, for that. Yeah. And this is the problem. People can't even get stuff done before they have to, you know, recalculate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, rates going up is 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 a big deal. I do think that at some point in the near future, next week or the week after, you're going to have uh, an opportunity to buy bonds. Um, I think the sell-off has been pretty extreme. I think we're going to get a pretty big bounce, um, and that's coming. That's definitely coming. And and are you talking tenure? What where where on the bond curve are you talking? Oh, let's just and- say tenure. You know, tenure notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- you could, you could retrace all the way back to like two thirty or two forty, and it doesn't really affect the uptrend in yields. So it could be a pretty big move. Wow. So, but is it, is it, is it a short term one? Because you, you, you know, you have the fed continuing to say they're going to be as aggressive as they can. I mean, whatever language they can find, they're trying to telegraph that they're going to start reducing their balance sheet. You think What's that bond move look like? It is is it a short term play, or and then resumes moving higher? Or? Yeah, I th- I th- I think that's it. I mean, basically, it's this is a technical call. I mean, it really the trend is nearing exhaustion. You know, I mean, we're getting we're getting down to tag ends on higher yields, and um, I just think there's going to be a really big bounce. And I'm go- I'm going to play it personally. You know, I'm I'm definitely going to trade that. So. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Interesting. You know, um, a lot of people have been looking at the action in bonds and sort of saying, oh, they're they're telegraphing a recession coming. I know you just said we're not in one, but Weston Nakamura caught up with Joseph Wang, um, the Fed guy on Twitter, and he Joseph brought up a sort of interesting, he's increasingly concerned about the fallout from these high prices. And he, he brought up a kind of interesting point as to why. Let's have a listen to that clip. To your broader point, though, uh, there's definitely going to be a recession. That's kind of baked in. And I think an easy way to think about this is, you know, what's an econ- economy is what, if you want to have growth, right, how do you have, get more growth? You either have more inputs or you have more productivity, which is to say you have, let's say, you get more out of your inputs. Let's say you have a factory that produces cars. If you want to produce more cars, you can either add more inputs, let's say more labor, more materials, or you can have some kind of weird 
oh, not weird, some kind of technological innovation that increases your productivity such that you're existing, using your existing materials, you can produce more cars, right? That's how we get real growth. Now, what's happening in the world, though, is we're having a structural supply shock because of what's happening over in, in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, there's just less materials, just less stuff. There's less oil, there's less, you know, all sorts of raw commodities, so that reduces the inputs in the big economic machine. And if you have fewer inputs, you necessarily have fewer outputs. And when you have fewer outputs, that's basically less growth, which, uh, which gets you potentially probably into a recession. I just thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at it, you know, when we're looking at this inflation uh, story, uh, just that there's less stuff, right? That less material, less oil, uh, less raw commodities, and that reduces the input input going into the economic machine. I kind of like the idea of that. And I, I don't know, like, is that coming in your mind, Jared? You just don't think we're there yet? Or do you think we can skirt recession? Uh, we're, is, we're definitely going to have a recession. It's, it's just a question of when. The curve inverted. Um, you know, I think if the Fed hikes rates enough. And when I say enough, I would say that you'd have to get Fed funds up to about 4%. You know, one of the things I said at the macro experience is, I think the yield curve can invert by a lot. I think we could have the most inverted yield curve than we've had in history, where you could have Fed funds at four, uh, tens at 275, something like that. You could have a massively inverted yield curve, which would be telegraphing a pretty big recession. Yeah, well, if you think that, then you do think we're going to have a sharp downturn, right? Yeah, I just think it's going to be a 2023 story. So right, we're too early now. You know, a lot of people have like sweaty palms about this. Like they're, it's like they, you know, they really want a recession, and I'm like, it's just, just, you know, when the curve inverts, you have anywhere from six weeks to 18 months before you get a recession, and I think it's going to be closer to 18 months. So. That's it buys us some time. Yeah. I, I, I think we, we both had the same impression when we were out in Del Mar at the, at the macro experience, real visions conference, um, that there was just a lot of, I don't know if we can call it doom, but it was heavy. There was a lot of worry in the room. Macro doom. <laughs> <laughs> it, did, it did feel, in fact, I don't know if you heard Julian and Ralph's conversation on macro insiders, but Julian started off by saying, I, I heard I scared the shit out of everyone. And we were like, yeah, sort of. But um, <laughs> yeah, there, there is no shortage of stuff to worry about. So if you do think that maybe we've got this longer period, two questions. Um, one of them, do you think that that gives officials, whether they be Fed officials or, you know, Treasury officials or, God forbid, politicians, um, a chance to adjust, make adjustments, right? If you're not doing things really rapidly and it takes a little longer to get into that recession, does that reduce the odds of a policy mistake? First question. What do you think about that? No, I actually think it increases the odds of a policy mistake. Oh, no. Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, basically, the Fed always overcompensates in both directions. They cut rates too much. They hike rates too much. So, if if let's I don't know what the exact number is, but let's just pretend equilibrium Fed funds is three percent. They're not going to stop at three percent. They're going to go to four, four and a half, five, whatever. So they're they're going to because basically they're not going to get any signals that they yeah. should stop until after they've gone well beyond that. So yeah, 
I see your, yeah, I see your rationale there. They'll be thinking that they've got all this work to do. They're not going to be looking at maybe some of the, some of the earlier signals, which will be problematic. Okay. The next question is, is that, if that's the case, taking into consideration both of those things, how do you play this as a trader? You just said there's a short-term play in bonds, but is there anything else you're looking at if people have the sort of timing of recession off? Uh, I think there's not a lot to do in stocks here. You know, mm -hmm. it's has been a pretty range-bound market, and I think it's going to continue to be range-bound. I don't, I don't really. I have some long-term fundamental bets and some individual names, but you know, I think the the real play is in commodities. I mean, like when we get recession, let's say next year, commodities are going to go down for sure. Okay, but we have a very long runway until that happens. Let's say, let's just call it a year. You know, you, you're going to have another year where commodity prices are going to continue to rise. You know, a lot of people don't this don't know this particular statistic, but December corn futures are up 21 days in a row. So like and this is this is not getting a lot of press. No, we, we had a lot of conversations about food commodities uh, when we were out in California, a lot of concern about that and them staying elevated for much longer. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's, I mean, look, like, that's really where the opportunities are, you know, that's, that's where the opportunities are. So we have a great question from Mark on the RV site. How will Jared know bonds have turned besides price action? Uh, I'm not going to wait for them to turn. If you wait for them to turn, it's going to be too late. Uh, and, and listen, what I, what my style of trading is, um, is is not recommended for most people you know most people say you shouldn't try to pick the top in yields in this case uh you should wait until it turns and then when it breaks you should you know you should sell um i actually i actually i i try to get pretty scientific about trying trying to find that point of exhaustion where i can actually you know get pretty close to the top so this is I, this is hilarious, and I guess uh, perhaps you know this fan fave. Um, this this is a question on the RV site from Dirtnap's favorite uranium a-hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey there. <laughs> Does JD, you know I was going to ask a question when that came up. Does JD describe to the notion of impending food crisis, food riots? Uh, that might happen for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, how you make money off of that, but that definitely could happen. I don't know if you know the his, the story of the uranium a-holes, but this I, is I don't. Uh, fill, it, fill us all in because we're okay, all laughing. But so, bring us in on the joke, fellas. So I, four or five days ago, I tweeted about uranium as a sector. And I said, look, like I like uranium. Uranium is working. But I said, I don't think it continued to work in the future because this is my quote. There are too many a-holes in the trade. And what what I meant by that was. This is a teeny tiny sector with 45 billion in market cap. There's uranium newsletters, uranium influencers, uranium Twitter. Like there's this whole ecosystem of people, and they're they're as passionate about uranium as Bitcoin people were passionate about Bitcoin. You know, so I didn't. It's one of those things like you tweet this and you think nobody reads it, and that ended up in the middle of uranium Twitter, and and they've been making like memes about me and like. <laughs> They have this hashtag that says uranium assholes and they're like, <laughs> they're putting it in their names. Like it's so, 
don't and I I don't I don't have it I don't have anything against the uranium guys at all. I'm just like it's I'm just it's a cult, you know. Like there's a there's the, the you get these trades that get to be a cult and you don't usually end up making money in the cult. So well, that that is that is such an interesting observation because I just came off an hour-long interview with Admir Adnani, who's the CEO of Uranium Energy Corp, talking all about uranium prices and the prospect for nuclear energy. So it is really, really fascinating to to hear that perspective from you. So all the uranium a-holes out there, I'm sure you're <laughs> going to want to watch that interview. Um, and then let's 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 circle back afterwards so we can talk about um, uranium. But you but you make up a really interesting point, um, Jared. So. Does it just is it the same thing as saying it's a crowded trade for you or um, it's departing from fundamentals? Like, or do you look at the fundamentals around uranium if you see that? Like, how does that play out in your head? Because I think yeah. you talked about a cult around Bitcoin before as well. You could maybe say the same thing about Tesla. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I actually like the fundamentals. I think the fundamentals are pretty good. Um, and yes, it's crowded. Like there's there's just a, there's just a lot of people in that trade. And, and just, you know, for full disclosure, uh, I was long Cameco for a long period of time, and I did pretty well on it. And I sold it like a couple of months ago, you know. So it, it like I just I I try to stay away from stuff that's a cult, GameStop, AMC. Yeah. You know, it usually it usually doesn't end well. And in the case of uranium, there's not a lot of liquidity. Yeah. So it could it could be a little unpleasant trying to get out. Um, but that's and that's a really good point. And I did not realize prior to to sort of digging in and, and looking at this that there it does not sort of trade with bid ass traditionally the way other commodities do in the futures market. That's changing. There's a lot happening on price discovery, but it doesn't work like all other commodities. And this yeah. is the tricky thing about commodities, right? Like they all have their different dynamics, which is why it's so valuable um, to talk to folks like you and certainly some of the, you know, heavy duty commodity folks in our community, like Tony and Mish, and because these things are, they have their own unique, uh, characteristics. So you really kind of need to dig in and do your homework on that is what I think I hear you saying. Um, sticking a little bit with commodity, how, uh, Bob asking on the RV site, how do you feel about GDX? Oh, I feel great about GDX. You know, the interesting thing is, is that, uh, you're starting to see a divergence between GLD and GDX. Um, and I own both. Um, GDX is actually outperforming GLD. You're seeing a lot of the big miners like Newmont. Newmont put in a 40-year new high, which is pretty astounding considering, you know, we're not back up to new highs in gold yet. So uh, I've seen um, there's been a handful of gold mining CEOs that have bought their own stocks. Mm. Um, so I think, and the thing with gold miners relative to uranium is that you know uranium is never going to get institutional sponsorship just simply because it's not big enough you can't if you're an allocator you just there's 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 only so much capital you can allocate to uranium but gold is huge and it's liquid and when it starts popping up on the screen of some of these value managers like there's a lot of money that can come into that space so yeah great point and that 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 liquidity issue matters uh we have um this is another one that there there appears to be some inside knowledge here let me know um ralph uh is asking from the rv site hi ralph would adding silver to the awesome portfolio help or hurt uh so within the awesome portfolio you have a 20 percent allocation to gold but it doesn't necessarily have to be gold it, it, it can be any art hard assets it can be any commodities it can be gold it can be silver it can it can also be Bitcoin, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, however you choose to slice and dice that 20% is up to you. Um, the standard allocation is 20% to gold just to keep it real simple. But yeah, I mean, if you had 18% gold and 2% silver, like that would definitely work. Uh, Mike is asking to bet on lower yields. This, this bond call peaking a lot of interest here to bet on lower yields. Would you go with TLT EDV calls on TLT a few months out? Question mark. Uh, there's really a number of ways to do that. Um, um, yeah, EDV. So EDV, uh, for people who don't know, EDV is, uh, a 30 year zero coupon bond DTF. There's another one called zero Z R O Z. Um, I don't, it, there's, there's less liquidity in the zero ETFs. Uh, you don't you don't really need that kind of rocket fuel. I mean, if if you if you buy TLT and get it right, it's going to be fine. One thing I have recommended in the past: a lot of people trade TBT, which is the double inverse TLT. It's negative two times short. Uh, so stay away from the leveraged ETFs. Uh, I wrote a piece about that for Bloomberg about four or five years ago. The leveraged ETFs will chew up your capital. So if you want leverage on TLT then just buy in-the-money calls. That's mm. the best way to do it. Um, you, you mentioned liquidity a couple of times. Is it important to think about staying in liquid instruments right now, given all of the sort of uncertainties, geopolitical risk out there, the fact that you know, there's so much disagreement about where we're going? Is that something people should be... You, I, I imagine you always want to be in liquid instruments, but is it more important now? I think it is because you know the liquidity conditions that are present when you put a trade on may not be present when you take the trade off, right? Mm-hmm. So you always have to have a plan. You say, okay, well, you know, w- when I buy this stock, it's penny wide and 10,000 up. But then when I go to sell it, it's 50 cents wide and it's 100 up on the screen because there's some kind of panic going on. So you always have to have some kind of an exit strategy. Yeah, uh, good advice. I want to ask you, Jared, uh, we talked with Weston yesterday a lot of interesting things going on in forex big moves with the yen are you looking at that and and you know how are you thinking about it so i'm looking at dollar yen not really from a macro standpoint but from a technical standpoint it's breaking out or broken out depending on who you ask of this 30-year resistance level um and you know just just as sort of a dumb technician i'm like well you know, one thing I, I, I did, Stan Drucker, Stan Druckenmiller did not tell me this, but I heard this from somebody who talked to Stan Druckenmiller and uh, told this story of uh, he got into an elevator with Stan Druckenmiller. And this was back in 2012 when dollar yen was also ripping. And in uh, Stan turns to him and says, when the old timers know when the yen trends, the yen trends and it is trending right now. And it's probably going to continue to trend. So, Love that. A little bit of history there. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Joe B is asking, uh, 
What do you see as the nearest catalyst that might reverse strength in the U.S. dollar? Uh, is he short the dollar? <laughs> Joe, are you short the dollar? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, actually, you know what? You know what could happen? See, you know, I trade the charts, so a lot of times uh, I don't have a catalyst or a story until the move happens, right? Yeah. So I'm seeing exhaustion in bonds. So my plan is to buy bonds. And if bonds go up, that might be accompanied by a decline in the dollar. But I have no idea what the catalyst is going to be. We'll know later what the catalyst is going to be. So it yeah. could be something out of Ukraine. Could be who knows. I mean, the problem right now is that, you know, it's, it's uh, these things could come from anywhere because there's so many moving parts of the markets. I mean, no, it says it sounds obvious to say that, but um, but it is. Uh, the truth right now, uh, the especially when you see Western was really great at saying when you see a big move like that in a in, in something that you people are used to being very stable, um, then it throws models off, right? And that's where you can kind of get things kind of blowing up underneath the surface, and you don't really know when they're going to come to you know come to the surface um, or come to light rather. Uh, question related question from Edward on the RB site, the dollar seems to be the only alternative for a global currency right now, but the U.S. has strongly incentivized the world to create an alternative. Could this play into the hyperinflation narrative? I don't know if the two are related. I mean, we certainly have created incentives for uh, a, a competitor to the dollar, but that is so slow moving. It's so slow moving. Like, you know, I've been hearing about the dollar as a reserve currency for like 10 years, and it's not, it's, you know, the, the probably the smartest thing I ever heard about that was somebody told me once that the dollar would no longer be the reserve currency if we lost an aircraft carrier, which is kind of an interesting way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think, but like I said, I don't think one has anything to do with the other. I don't think it necessarily has to do with hyperinflation, but we haven't talked about hyperinflation yet because... You know, one of my newsletters this week, I said, look, like, you know, back in 2010, 11, 12, 13, all anybody could talk about was hyperinflation because of the Fed was doing QE. We didn't get any inflation. Now we have eight and a half percent inflation and everybody's afraid to talk about hyperinflation. But we're already almost there. I mean, if you believe the shadow stats guy, John Williams, that inflation is actually 17 or 18 percent. And if you take the definition of hyperinflation at 20%, we are almost there. So I don't think, you know, we used to talk about these people like, you know, conspiracy theorists and stuff like that, talking about hyperinflation. But we have we actually have to start talking about these conversations because the psychology beyond behind this is totally out of control. Yeah. And that's psychology, meaning that if people expect it to continue to go up, they're going to act accordingly. Exactly. Right. Then you yeah. create a, a you know, a, a spike, which somebody, one of our guests rightly pointed out, you may not have that immediate knee jerk here just because it's been so long since we've seen that. But, you know, if you were in an emerging market, that, that this would be a different story. I mean, that is what kind of creates that cycle. Um, and they are, know it well. Do we catch up with that psychology? I mean, I think that's really a really important question and point. What do you what do you expect? We're in the middle of earnings, right? So do prices stay elevated? And are we going to see the separation of those who can pass on the prices? I mean, can anyone pass them on? Amazon's trying it. It's tacking a 5% search fuel surcharge, right, for third-party sellers. So we're seeing, we're starting to seeing it come see it come out. Um, do you see separation from those who are pricing power and those who don't? Or is everyone going to get slammed in the? 
I mean, everybody kind of gets slammed. Retailers are in a particularly bad position. Uh, some retailers worse than others. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they're trying to pass along price increases as the best they can, but it's um, like everybody loses, you know? Yeah, so. that's that's what it feels like. Um, and, you know, they're coming from everywhere, right? So hard to pass along if you just don't have it. And that, that's, I think, you know, circling back and ending on the the vibe you picked up from the radio. That's why it's great talking to people locally, right? Not economists, but just people and getting their sense. And, you know, they feel it. They feel strained and it's hitting everyone, not just the lowest income barrier, but I think everyone. They're, they were actually, they're pretty informed. You know, it's a, it's, it's a conservative local show. Um, you know, they're pretty thoughtful and, uh, the woman who, um, is the host, her name is Liz Calloway. She, you know, she looked at me and she said, so basically these lockdowns in Shanghai are going to cause supply chain issues, which are going to cause inflation in the U S right. And I'm like, actually, you totally nailed it. Like, you know, so, you know, even people who don't work in markets kind of intuitively understand the economics behind this stuff. Yeah. You know? And they're bracing and they know it's going to be bad yeah. and they're feeling it already. So maybe we, we need to watch them as well as the inverted yield curve. Jared, yeah. so great to catch up with you again. Um, and it was so fun to see you in person last week. We had such a blast. I hope we're able to do it again soon. Yeah, it's too bad I was kind of sick. I'm, I'm just I'm like 90 percent better at this point. But, oh, good. Well, you didn't, not, you didn't know. You didn't, we best. didn't realize it. <laughs> you did well, <laughs> considering. Yep. Um, but thanks to all of you for watching as well, of course. Uh, just a reminder, tomorrow, markets are U.S. markets are closed, as, as are some overseas as well, by the way, <coughs> for Good Friday. Um, so we will be back with you on Monday. So have a great weekend in the meantime. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.